They didn't realize we were seeds. They didn't realize you were seeds. They open doors so others can walk through them. Your legacy is every life you have ever touched. I'm Stella Sagliari, and this is Salt the Podcast. Welcome to Salt the Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. My guest today is Rula Assad. Rula was born in 1983 in Damascus and holds a degree in journalism from the University of Damascus. She has also just graduated from Utrecht University in the Netherlands with a master's in gender studies. Rula is a feminist journalist and researcher and the co-founder and executive director of the Syrian Female Journalist Network, SFJN, which was founded in 2013. Rula is also a freelance journalist and reporter on women and human rights, as well as culture and civil societies issues from Lebanon, Jordan, and Turkey. Additionally, Rula has worked as a reporter for local, regional, and international media. Since 2012, she lives in the Netherlands. I want to introduce today's episode with a song that Rula sang for us, which is about a loved one who is not around anymore, but because there is fall every year, this person is being remembered. I hope you will enjoy the song and this episode. Badu zarif Badu elif Badu piani lak Nitlil kharif Khabberni anta Badak bithanna ما بعرف ليش عم بحكي ولا كيف يمكن لا لا صاروا بعد وهو حكياتي أو حكي أولاد لكن كله ما عم يمنع اشتقلك Madam Kilsini Fi Kharif Badu Ali Badu Zari Badu Biani Lak Mitlil Kharif Khabberni Ant Badak Bithan Welcome, Rula. I'm very happy that you're here with us today. And yeah, I'm really happy looking forward to our conversation. So tell us, who is Rula? Share a little bit uh, with the audience about yourself. Thank you, Stella. I'm delighted to be your guest today um, and salt the podcast. And who I am? Well, I would say I am a football player, a former football player, but I want to say I'm still playing football. <laughs> I'm a singer. Uh, I used to sing in a choir and um, I'm a flamenco dancer, not a professional, but uh, I do dance flamenco. I like flamenco as a concept as well. Um I would say I am also um, regionally active uh, in the different levels. Like uh, I would love to go back to the culture scene and to organize uh, culture events because I used to be in that scene as well. Um, so I, I'm not, not going to go long because I don't want to, to get into myself that much. But this is the three things I feel myself like. It's also me away from being a director, a journalist, a researcher, a trainer, a media trainer. So this is who, who I am as well. And um, you are one of the co-founders of the Syrian Female Journalists Network, SFJN. And I want, um, yeah, I want you to share with us what is, what, what is it all about? What is SFJN about? Its history, its mission, its vision, um, your involvement in it. So tell us about SFJN. 
Oof, SFGN. Um, it's um, it's a very dear project to me. Um, I co-founded PAG in 2013 with uh, my colleague Milia Aidmoni. She is uh, also a Syrian journalist. Um, back in 2012, um, like we want to do something because the uh, revolution already started in 2011. People really get very, I mean, people from the oppositional side wanted to create alternative for people in terms of how we imagine our future. So we are trying to create another uh, spaces uh, away from like the government because we were already like under this uh, government and regime since the, the 70s. Like, uh, so we really wanted as young people to, to participate and to be more engaged with the revolution. But at that time already it, it turned to be a conflict and a lot of people displaced and the government like really attacking the cities and a heavy weapon and people, they start to displace to, to surrounding country like uh, Turkey and Lebanon, Jordan. And everyone just want to help these people, like poor people, the refugee. And for us, we, we, we also want to do that. But then a lot of other like aspect, how we are imagining our future, we're going to drop out of that because we'll put all our energy just to helping other people who are in need. So we start to think about like, we are a journalist and the media sector in Syria already um, like ruined by uh, the government for a very long time. And then we don't really we didn't uh, practice freedom of expression and like the topic we have to write about is very limited. And of course, we start to, to look to ourselves as women, like what's the added value for us as a woman journalist to this sector? And of course, with some quick look to the sector, it's of course male dominated and uh, talking about women perspective in the media, it's really already... Uh, stereotyped, like whether a victim uh, or whether a decoration, I would say, like saying like, ah, we have a woman political, uh, a politician, and then talking from that perspective as achievement. And then we start to think about maybe we want to build a network for women journalists, Syrian women journalists to support each other. This is the really pure idea of SFGN. Because we are in a sector like we don't have the space, we are not in a high uh, um, decision-making uh, level. Uh, rarely we we see each other, know about each other work. Uh, so we started to think about maybe a network of Syrian women journalists all around uh, the region um, or the world. Because already at that time, some journalists start to, to leave the region to Europe or USA. And then to, just to organize uh, such a network. But very shortly, we find out like we are, we are creating more or less a bubble within the sector. And then we thought we are repeating a mistake by doing that. Like it's like a network for women journalists. And then we start to decide, we, we start to think about how to include male slash men journalists in our work. So we try to keep the focus on women journalists as priority in terms of um, educational opportunity, like a training workshop, uh, job uh, as well, kind of economic empowerment for women journalists. But when it comes to the content, for example, when we are we, we were and we are still trying to integrate gender lens to media protection, uh, production, how also to educate men, not only women, because who is producing the discourse at the end, it's not, in, I mean, media discourse, it's not only women, but also men. So, and then we start to mix a lot of our training and activity to invite male, um, uh, female, men and women, partner, media outlet. And we started to develop that. And since 2013 till today, we are keeping eye on that and developing that in sense that we keep the space for women journalists in a different way. And for today, for example, we are talking about protection and safety for women in, and women human rights defender, women journalists. But when it comes to the discourse, media discourse, we have to think who is producing this discourse. And then we have to include and invite a male men colleague to, to be part of this uh, like journey to develop it and to localize it as well. And it's a lot in this journey already happened. It is my work for the last uh, eight 
uh, years. It is my passion as well. And the organization is really growing. A lot of people join. A lot of people left as well to, to other shops or other interests. And it is like that. It's very dynamic. We have community. We're rebuilding our community because we really uh, used to meet people in person. And they became our member. But because of the political context changing a lot and affecting Syrian in particular, especially the activists to move freely between borders. So the one, for example, in Syria can't not anymore travel freely to the neighboring country. The one in Europe cannot travel anymore to Turkey. And then this is since 2016. And then in 2020, Corona started. So everyone is working remotely. But we are trying, starting from this year, to rebuild our community and um, also to reach out to a new generation of women journalists and reporters. So maybe because the audience doesn't know, I did my internship um, at SFJN. So I think it's also, maybe you were too humble to mention it or you, you forgot, but maybe it's also good to say how you, I mean, we don't need to tell the whole story how you started, but you started with your friend with no funding, with nothing. And you were really at the beginning, not even making any money with it. So you were really dedicating yourself into this vision of building SFJN. And then much later, you got your first funding partner, right? And then the big funding partners came. So also it's an organization that is being sustained through through external funding. And I yes. think it's also good to mention that it's the only feminist media organization, right? It's a feminist media organization that focuses on Syria specifically, but the Middle East and North Africa re region more in general. And also just for the audience to know that, um, I mean, you, you kind of mentioned it, but there was no alternative media in Syria before the revolution. Everything was controlled by the government, right? Everything was in Arabic. Right. While you also speak other languages in Syria, like Kurdish. Right. Um, so you're really, yeah, you created something that wasn't there before. And you also are doing something that nobody else does kind of. Yeah. training the journalists, protecting them, offering workshops, safety, and also that um, your personnel is based in different countries. Like mm -hmm. you founded the organization in the Netherlands, but you have staff in Turkey, in France, in Germany, and you are mostly Syrian women. I think this is something that I find really important because oftentimes when you have a war, when you have a conflict, you have all the Global North organizations, let me put it like this, entering into the conflict and providing charity and mm -hmm. providing knowledge. Like we know what is best for you, but you have founded this organization and you as Syrian women, you know what is best for Syria and you are in contact with each other. Mm -hmm. You're standing in solidarity with each other and you are really um, like, you know what is needed and you are also evolving through that because I know how you started. I know right now, you, as you said, you're also changing adjusting of course you also make mistakes you learn from your mistakes but i think yeah. it's, it's really really important to me to emphasize this is an organization run by syrian feminist women mm -hmm. of course some of your staff is not syrian but they're standing in solidarity with you and they're fighting the cause together with you and there's not a white savior organization no, no. and this to me is also really really important yeah well since you mentioned it uh, yeah you, you brought the um pain part to the journey actually <laughs> and slightly the anchor part because yes when we started everyone want to support Syrian terms sending humanitarian aids and uh, like yeah we're gonna support the poor people and this our a very traditional political opposition which is again a huge punch of male like and also uh, old ones like not even the young ones and then, of course, for, for me as a feminist, start to frustrate me, like, what about, uh, for example, education? What about media? What about art? What about Allah, et cetera, et cetera. And then um, in the beginning, we didn't get fun for many reasons. And I'm confident today, today to say it, like, first, because as you said, Stella, thank you for mentioning that and seeing that. Uh, like, yes, because we are trying to do something within the Syrian context didn't happen before, so we don't have example to follow or, or, or to at least to learn from. And today we are start to see that recognition from other, but uh, I mean, other local partner, regional, but also international. So it was quite challenging at that time and a lot of really pain at that time to, to keep doing this. Yes, yes. But you're still here. You yeah, are yeah. persistent. <laughs> Not going anywhere, people. <laughs> <laughs> and Rula, you are a feminist journalist. 
So tell the audience what feminist journalism is for you and what is feminist solidarity? Mm. Well, uh, well, I will dismantle it a little bit. I will, be, I will say first, I'm feminist, like really standing um, against any wrong. When I sense wrong, I will just stand against that wrong. Um, and as a journalist, a lot of people can be journalists. It's a technique. You will learn it, you will do it, and you will be a very good journalist, but not a professional journalist in my perspective. Because people, they can talk, yeah, let's add gender lens to that. And for me, uh, then if it's not there, you can still be uh, professional. And of course, when we are talking about feminism, for me, I'm talking about social justice. So For me now, I can't imagine anyone saying I'm a professional journalist if he or she not a feminist, or at least talking, I'm a journalist uh, promoting social justice. Because otherwise, I would be very good doing interview report, investigative report, um, etc. But what about the discourse itself? What would, what we are promoting? This is very important, and this is ideology, and this is absolutely our own beliefs so that i will question anyone today saying i'm a journalist and then if these people adding the gender to be cool because most of the people trying to add the gender lens when they are to to, to like we are cool and uh, uh, progressed and um, we are aware about all this injustice as like they are giving something to the other people being aware but not themselves so being a feminist journalist means to me It's not separated. And to be professional, I have to be a feminist journalist because it's about discourse I'm, I'm producing or the work I'm doing as a journalist all the time. This is my, my standpoint. This is my belief. And when we talk about solidarity, if I cut the feminist part from my work, well, there is no need for solidarity, to be honest. I will just be in solidarity with any journalist, any person, But when I put the feminist lens, I will see the um, discrimination, racism, classism, sexism. I will see also the people, how they are suffering from culture, ignorance in their country, for example. We talk about Kurds, for example. I can't ignore the fact that, but because I am feminist, ignore the fact that Kurds, they have been ignored for ages not to use their language or to even sing their song in, in public because of that. So now I understand that because I am a feminist journalist, not because I am only journalist. Um, and solidarity for me, it's a big question. It's uh, like, And it's quite a funny one for me because I have also history with this question from audience when I used to give more public um, uh, speech uh, in public event and when, of course, telling a story. And people felt very touched by the situation in Syria, seeing like how we can help or how we can be in a solidarity with you. And solidarity for me, it's not, uh, I don't have a toolkit for that. I'm not going to tell everyone how to be in solidarity with with us because they are not asking me. They, they Then I turn to be, I'm, I'm representing a group of people and I can't answer on behalf of these people because some people showing solidarity may be reposting something about Syria or not to forget Syria. For me, maybe to insist talking about women in um, women journalists in the media sector. Maybe it's not only Syrian, maybe the, anywhere, everywhere. So solidarity for me is supposed to be cross-border. Uh, so it's not related to a certain border and to stand together against any discrimination and racism and sexism that to start with, I would say. And it, you decide how to be in solidarity with people, like when and to use our privilege. I mean, solidarity in a, in a certain moment, it's to to use our privilege. Sometimes to talk on behalf of other people, it's okay because maybe they don't have the space. Sometimes to have my access to internet, just to really repost, post things, and talk about the things. So starting with the very, few, it's not about donation. It's not about sending products and goods to the poor refugee and blah blah blah. So and so, it's still important, but it's not the it's it's not the um, the main means of solidarity for me. So everyone can decide how, but think about your privilege and use it. 
Yes, yes. I think it's you mentioned so many important points um, that feminism is really about power and knowledge, right? Who is producing mm -hmm. the knowledge? Who has the power to produce the knowledge? And the media has a lot of power, and we know that. And media can cause a lot of harm. Um, that's why I find it really important what you said. This, as a journalist, you're recognizing your power, and you're also recognizing the responsibility you have when you produce knowledge. And like you say, I'm not just going to produce knowledge. I'm going to look at um, race and gender, class. Um, I'm aware of different or of unequal power relations mm -hmm. within Syria or within the world. And I'm going to take that into my work. And that is, I find this really, really important. Also the power of words, right? Yes. Because we can see it with a lot of different um conflicts that sometimes people use the word conflict instead of let's say a revolution because mm -hmm. what is I, I rarely hear the mainstream media maybe I'm wrong when they refer to Syria talking about the Syrian revolution they will always say the Syrian conflict the Syrian war which of course you can use those terms too but I rarely see the word revolution um, or I think we can we can use all kinds of examples um, yeah. also if we look in Israel-Palestine um Mainstream media also always talks about the conflict. Yes. <laughs> they don't talk about occupation. They don't mm -hmm. talk about settler colonialism. Um, just to mention two examples. So I think this is really important. And I also like what you said. Um, you show that feminism is actually much more than just, and I'm putting that in brackets, women's rights. It's also about fighting racism, fighting Absolutely. colonialism, fighting imperialism, fighting all kinds of isms. Um, yes. So that is that is really powerful what you shared with us. And um, Rula, um, you are a feminist journalist and you are a human rights defender um, and you are part of the Syrian revolution and you live in the diaspora. Like you, as you said earlier, you cannot go back to Syria because, it, yeah, you would be in danger. Can you tell us about your work as a feminist journalist with regard to the Syrian revolution and with living in the diaspora because quite often and this is what i find so amazing about being an activist that you can imagine a world that is not there mm. even in the most horrible moments because the war in syria what is happening in syria now for more than 10 years is so gruesome and it it's it is so sad actually mm -hmm. and people i guess you've heard it before they might ask you how can you do this work do you have even hope you know they could say you're really fighting for something that Yeah, but this is what I find so amazing about um, activism, that we can imagine a world that is not there and we will not give up on it. We will not despair. Of course, you have moments of, of despair, but you won't despair. And this is also what feminist solidarity is for me, that we are standing with each other and we are believing in this vision and we are fighting for it. So tell us a little bit about your work um, in that context of the Syrian revolution and also being... Um, yeah, displaced. You are not in Syria. You are in, in, in the Netherlands. You are in the global north. Yes. Um, well, I would say, like, I'm using my privilege for a cause in this sense. Like, I know I am in a safe place. This is first to start with. Second, I am in a place where the discourse about my country already established, as you said, as a conflict, blah, blah, blah. Like people, they don't know what they are doing. They are destroying their country. So I'm using my privilege, being a journalist, worked with uh, several um, media here in Netherlands, but also in, in Germany, to talk about, again, revolution. So I use my privilege and the access to go to the media and talk about also all the platforms and uh, debates I've been like to talk about women perspective, women journalist perspective, women human rights defender perspective. I'm emphasizing on women um, because usually it's cut off any uh, discussion. So even in if I go back to 10 years ago, I was pretty focused on women rights. Now, of course, I know how important that, but also how to add the other lens to, to that perspective, not only to limit myself to a certain identity, but also to tell more because I have the privilege to be in front of 100 people, One, I mean, like one time and to talk about one, two, three, four. And it's still focused on what I want to contribute because I believe other activists will cover the other points. I'm not going to cover everything, yeah. but, uh, and I'm aware about my limitation. So this is also another thing I learned from diaspora. Like not to overwhelm myself, not to overwhelm people who, who are interested, but also to be 
um, how to say it, authentic what the thing I'm doing. Like I, what I believe in, I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to be this cool activist trying to to sell you any story like you want to hear. And sometimes I am rude and I am, I know I am ruder even when I'm getting older. <laughs> For example, when people, they said about, uh, like, tell us about Syria. I said, why I have to do your homework? Because now Syria, it's not about Syrian. It's about all militarization, about the open imported to the country. It's about all the politics, about all the cards of refugee it's playing in Europe, et cetera, et cetera. So, so also that, I, I don't want to sell the people the story of the Syrian women refugee uh, in, in Europe. And I am, well, I have to emphasize, like, not all Syrians, they are refugee in Europe. I'm not refugee in Europe. Since I came here, I'm working and paying my taxes. And a lot of Syrians, they also do the same. And not all the Syrians are living on, uh, on the government's pocket, even the refugee, because after a while, they have to go and work. So even... There is a blindness, even the discourse about Syrian in Europe, since we are talking about Europe now. And also how this card has been used in Turkey, for example, with a lot of uh, agreement with Europe, like Tur- Turkish government with the European uh, EU, um, playing the, the Syrian card. So back to your question. Um, well, of course, I imagined a place. Uh, before 2013, like Syria, how I when I left the country in late 2011, of course, everything in my my memory, like as I used to see it. And then in 2013, I packed to Syria for a short visit. I take the risk and I went from Lebanon to to Syria. And the place is not there anymore. That uh, the place I I used to know. And since that moment, something changed even in my, um, I would say, imagining the future of, of Syria. Because first, to adapt the change, to adapt a lot of people killed and disappeared, uh, to adapt that this regime is going to last for long with the support of many Western governments, to adapt that we there is a certain, certain discourse about Syrian, like, it's okay, this is how, like how people, they see us as Syrian internationally with the different, of course, levels of how they see us because it can be victimized like all the way and it can be very racist all the way. So it's okay. It's not my battle there now. And then I back to Netherlands and the whole work in, at SFGN because we were still like started, but also the vision started to change to, to work on the long term. Like we are imagining our media sector. Now, it's not about just fighting the regime, saying this regime, it's a criminal, this special asset is a criminal, blah, blah, blah. But it's more about how to be more inclusive, how to have to gain a freedom of expression without um, silencing each other, how feminist journalism, it's very important. And that's because the place I imagined I left, it's not there anywhere anymore. The Syria as a country, it's not one unit anymore. It's for now, it's at least three divided to three, three parts. And I am personally, I start to accept that. Like maybe Syria as a one, one, one country, it's not anymore as we used to. And maybe this is good. This is bad. I don't know. It's, it's I, I don't, I don't know the, the answer. And, um, we are just, I think, have to accept the reality and work accordingly from diaspora. And I'm not very naive when, when I talk about uh, the conflict because many of people, they, they see this armed resistance as their path. Like they don't see other solution. I'm not saying like this is wrong or right. This is their decision. But of course, I was going to question uh, all the Western government that they facilitate selling weapons to other countries, for example, Saudi Arabia, who sent uh, the weapon yeah. back to Syria yeah. and to Qatar. And I mean, I know we, this would take us for another chapter of, of the what's happening in Syria. But yeah, working from outside, it's good and bad at the same time. It's not, um, it's not one thing. And it's really in between. Like it can be very useful. It can be, be very desperate and very frustrating being away. And I had that moment, like, what the point? I'm doing all this work from here. I was in, in a therapy. I really, for a couple of years, like, really don't have any time for myself. Just go, 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 go. I have to do my part. A lot of pain in that now, if I look back. And this is part of my my interest for future, I would say, like, 
also how to pass the knowledge for other activists, especially the young one, but also in my age. I'm not going to underestimate the also the people from my age, to be aware of our own well-being, like to take time to recover and then to come back to our fight, which is, it is fight. Our activism, it's a fight every day. I mean, everyone who is fight racism, fight militarism, fight, as you said, or ism, it is a fight. So um, also it's part of my interest nowadays, like how we can take care of each other, but also how to be in solidarity with each other and how to take some battle from each other because we don't have to fight all the time people they can have also rest and recover time yes you also wrote a really for me very great article about some of the points that you just mentioned and you also said in that article you, you speak about this exhaustion of going to all these conferences and being um, re requested to speak about the plight of the Syrian refugee woman the people expect you to cry and 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 Yeah, like kind of fulfill a certain image mm -hmm. that the West wants to see and how you are not going to fulfill this. And I find this also really, really important about the work that you do, that you are refusing to uh, perpetuate this image of the poor refugee woman uh, with probably five kids uh, in need of aid. Um, yes, so yeah. that is also really important um, from your work. So, um, yeah. And I think maybe you already kind of answered it, but maybe if you want to add one or two things to it, how did the context of displacement influence um, or change your activism and feminism? I will start with the positive thing. It, I mean, in each conflict, there is uh, a huge opportunity to, to learn. And usually... Um, Well, it's already academically speaking, like uh, when there is conflict, people, they are op more open, but open to what? This is another question, but became open because survive mechanism, it's like really adrenaline is very high. So yes, to survive with you, with your, I mean, yourself, but also the beloved one. And then displacement, it means like crossing uh, border, even without, uh, within the country, like one of uh, A beautiful lesson we learned, I mean, from the revolution, we, we start to learn about our country. People, they start to hear for the first time about other towns and small cities because in such, uh, in such system, I mean, the government, like just the big cities, it's the most important. And it's like two, three cities, you know, and the rest of the country, like already ignored. So with the revolution, also displacement, like moving, Moving, it means also mentally, emotionally, you are in move. I will talk, well, now I kind might sound romanticizing displacement as it's an option and luxury. It is not for many, many of people. Now, today, I'm saying that. But in 2012, when, or even 11, when I finished my internship in Germany, because I traveled from Syria to Germany for internship for three months, my suitcase just have I mean I had clothes only for three months so when winter came I didn't have a jacket and I a person who traveled from all the way from Syria to Germany in a plane with the visa and a nice reception because I mean I was traveling for sort of work but still I have to buy a winter jacket because I didn't have my winter jacket with me and I have well so I'm not traumatizing displacement because for many people they just flee with their paper and then some of them without paper because very important when crossing border in a, such a country, I mean, in such a globe, I mean, like to have a paper, who you are, where you are coming from, you have the right to cross the border or not. So some of people, they didn't have that. So I'm not talking about that because it's a dramatic. It's, it's, it's the most dramatic experience you might face as a person nowadays if you just have to cross the border and then because you just left the house in the moment like you just so saving your life and then face all that but for me displacement teach me a lot and as i said they starting from positive part i learned from other people i met all the way long i mean till today other culture perspective learning from people how think about life in a general but also about the things i like common common ground like media, feminism, activism, 
politics, uh, environment. It's also one of my very important um, things uh, nowadays, like not because it's one of the hot topic now to be environmentalist. But since 2010, I was working on the drought uh, issue in Syria. So also learning about things already, like it's interest for me. Uh, being in a different space, and then I mean space in this terms, place, like also to see from distance, it's also different perspective. And that saved me for quite long. I mean, like being not very close to the ground, it helped me to, to see what's happening in a different perspective, more relaxed, to be honest. But also it makes make me feel um, guilty because I am in a safe space. I'm seeing the things from different other people suffering more than I, I, I suffer. All this, of course, came uh, in the beginning of the displacement. But also displacement, uh, especially I would say not in the region, I, because I didn't uh, spend time in the region as a uh, well, refugee, but I traveled directly to Europe. Uh, of course, I start to see uh, what whiteness means and racism means and how people underestimate people from a global south mean, how I've been aware of myself in a public space because I have dark hair, brown skin, dark eyes. So, of course, I, I get that look from people like, hmm, not uh, blonde enough <laughs> to, to be... Um, this uh, to be not recognized in public space. Um, so also, I, I displacement teach me that because in Syria, living where I used to live, not being, I mean, if I am being recognized because I am a woman, and then it's a different story. Of course, I'm aware of my body in the public space because of that. But in 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 Europe, uh, displacement that also meant to me, meant to me how to be aware not to do any mistake in public because then I will be bringing, I mean, people, they will labeling me, I am the, the foreigner who is doing, uh, not respecting the public space, even for me, like not eating in the metro. And even if I did it one time and it's not allowed and a person came to me and shout like, oh my God, this is nice because it's an active citizen. But then, oh my God, this is racism <laughs> as well. <laughs> like, so this kind of story is like in the first impression, it's yeah, amazed. But then it's like, no, this is, it's not acceptable. Like patronizing me. I mean, a lot of people because I'm woman brown, etc. cetera. Uh, but again, it's really, um, I don't have a black and white answer for, for this question. I don't know if anyone has actually, no. because it's learning process. At, uh, and also to look at it like, Really, it's a learning curve, like the perspective being close and the way having the privilege, not having that privilege, being close sometimes. Um, so, yeah, this is displacement for me and diaspora. And I'm still yeah. wondering about what I learned because I didn't have time for myself to reflect. And just recently, I seriously speaking, like I start to look back to the 10 years, like even many of us as activists, because this year we are celebrating 10 years of, of, of revolution and we start to say like, oh, it's 10 years. And we start to reflect. There is collective reflection, but there's also individual reflection. And I am in that phase as well. Beautiful. Very good. Very good. And I also think just to add one more thing, as you said earlier, Sometimes it's really about educate yourself. I mean, just today, our conversation, you mentioned so many things, and I'm assuming people are listening that they heard a lot of terms maybe for the first time, or they're they not very familiar with what is going on in Syria. Educate yourself, read about it. Um, that's also very, very important. Don't just depend on Rula to educate you, or don't just depend on what you hear maybe two minutes in the news. Um, yes, I just want to add this. Thank you, Rula. Thank and, you, um, and who has been your soul, Rula? Who has inspired you? To be honest, um, a lot of people. And uh, again, each period of my life, uh, there is person. I At that moment, maybe I don't uh, notice. Like I'm really looking to this person as like my, my salt. But later, when that part finished, and then looking back, said like, yes, without that person or those people, I maybe didn't make, make mm. it. But today, I know they are my sister, two sisters. 
uh, Hannah, my eldest sister, and my um, uh, third sister. I'm coming from a very big family, like we are 10 siblings, and my number is eight. So I'm talking about number one and the three. <laughs> Uh, just to make it easier for, for yes, our yes. listener today. Um, so my, uh, my, my sister, Hannah, and my, my other sister, Iftikhar, uh, for the unconditional love and support and trying to understand me, their youngest uh, sister, who is trying already, like, moved the, left the country in a different world, they are trying also get well. They are feminists in their way, but uh, when I'm talking about, for example, gender, I have to explain to them what I mean by gender, or I say it racism, and then they they have this kind of racism as I mean in, in the country we have it or sexism. But then when I when I use the term as it is, they like oh, yeah, tell us more. And I like this moment. They are my elder sister, but still they want to learn from me. I like um, this. This this also make me take them as example. Like doesn't matter how old I am or what kind of education I'm gonna gain, but I still have to learn from the younger. So they are my soul. They are very strong characters. Uh, the love they 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 give to me. They still giving to me um, the support. Their journey. I mean, as sister in a certain. I mean, they have their their own history and story. I'm not gonna tell it today, <laughs> but uh, they are my sister Eftika. She is a lawyer, and all the fight she had in the court, for example, and telling me later when I was really really young how things happened and how she's sitting and writing, you know, all this about what she have to do and the planning. My other sister, a teacher. And also, like to tell, telling me more. I mean, over and over, how how difficult, but also enjoyable to teach other people something you know better. Also, that that inspired me in a different levels. And of course, now distant, like we didn't see each other since ten years. Hannah, I didn't see her since ten years. Iftikhar since two thousand thirteen. That short uh, short visit. So it, and now I start to think like even. I have to risk it, but I really want to go to Syria and see them. I really want to hug them. I really want to thank them because today who I am because of them as well. Like, uh, so they are my salt. It's very touching. <laughs> you really touched me. And to whom do you want to pass the salt? And what do you want to say? I can't think about as a person, but I really think about a generation and I more think about Syrian feminist younger generation um, because of again the revolution, the war, displacement, diaspora, they are in a really in a I don't know to how to put to put it now, but they are really in a very Critical, but also special moment. They are they are creating their own meaning of feminism, um, because for us we start in Syria and then we moved like my generation. Their generation already start in a in a I would say in a war context, in a diaspora context, in displacement context. I know it's a lot what they are going through. I mean, in a many different like politically, economically, socially, culturally. I would say just take care of yourself. Um, it's okay to take time off. And it's okay if you're not going to fix the world. We are not aiming. I mean, I'm not aiming to fix the world. And it's not only your own responsibility to fix the world. Just enjoy the life. Try to contribute as much as you enjoy what you are contributing. And take care of yourself. And uh, don't press any emotions. Be angry. It's okay. Be mean, it's okay, because also that means you are really care and you love what you are doing. So don't oppress any emotions and um, put yourself and your own well-being one of your top five priority. Because if I said first priority, people said like, ah, I'm really in a very luxury place to say that. But I would say put it in the five top priority to take care of yourself, take time off and just embrace your limitation as well. It's okay. Hmm. Yes. 
Thank you. Do you have a question for me? I do a lot of questions for you. Still. <laughs> As of our many conversation, we started like, let's talk about 10 minutes and we end up two hours and not yet finish. <laughs> but with you, I, I always want to continue actually the conversation about uh, feminist ethics of care or ethics of care and to learn from you as well. What that mean to you in this context? Maybe if I put it in a general context, it will be another two hours to talk about. But what ethics of care, feminist ethics of care means to you? You mean in the workplace or in general, or I can choose? You can choose. <laughs> okay, as always, I never know what the question will be. So... I think feminist ethics of care, and, and it's, it is true, it is a conversation we always kind of start, but we never really delve into it. We never really, yeah, I don't even know if we've ever restarted it. <laughs> so maybe now is the moment to do so. To me, I associate it with different things that I learned over the last few months. And there, there are two terms that I want to use, or maybe even three, maybe three. One is collective care. The second one is radical kinship. And the third one, probably self-care, I would say. So maybe I start with self-care. When I say self because you also mentioned it before, when I say self-care, um, I really see it as something that is also political. Because we are in a system that constantly demands us to produce. Um, we are here to work, um, to make money, to pay taxes, to, to be useful, right? Um, to to the system. And also as activists, as you said earlier, we can get tired. And it's very important to say, today I will just sleep. Or I will today actually tell everybody how I feel. I will show some vulnerability that I'm not a superwoman, that I'm not a superhero. People used to call me, and until today, they call me a superwoman. And in the past, I was really proud to having this label. But it never allowed me to fail. It never allowed me to show any vulnerability. And if I did, I would say, oh, come on, you're a superwoman. You can do that. And nowadays, I passionately reject that label because I'm not a superwoman. I'm Stella, you know. And mm. yeah, I also have my, my bad moments, my sad moments, my vulnerable moments. And I think it's really important to talk about it, to mention it, to show it. Because then you also give other people the the yeah you allow them to do the same you know because yeah. we are not super women or super people so it's a lot about self-care um in a sense of going against this the system of we have to produce we have to be this we have to be that we have to aim higher and bigger salary and bigger promotion and bigger whatever and also this very individualistic kind of living and that then brings me to the idea of community collective care radical kinship that we have to take care of each other we have to support each other i live uh, in amsterdam as you know i don't have any family around uh, we have four children we study we work we have a lot and i built really a community around me where we help each other where we one day my kid got sick i'm going to mention very simple things and my friend cooked for us she made a soup i cannot uh, i have a meeting at And, and I don't have anybody taking care of my child. So another person at school will pick up my kid and take care of my child. You know, mm. it's really about this community that also is being lost. It's very individualistic how we live, especially in Europe. Yeah. And maybe especially also more Northwest Europe. We should take care of each other and we should also believe each other. Um, we should believe people's pain and we should protect each other. Like, This is another thing that that I see as feminist ethics of care. And then there is this idea of the radical kinship. Um, and that's something that I'm very much interested in. And I listened to a talk the other day about it. You know, it's it's all about this, the idea of the family. The family mm. is a mother and a father and the parents of, like, let's say the grandparents and the kids. And this is your support. But No, we have to break this idea of it's just the father and the mother and the kids and the grandparents. No, we have to enter into radical kinship, which means with people that we are not related by blood. At least that's what it means to me. And we have to support each other. And I think through that, we can really make a difference. 
Um, also, we have to understand that a family is not always a mother and a father. It is sometimes just a mother, just a father. It's sometimes a family with no kids. It's sometimes two women. It's sometimes two men. I mean, there there are a lot of different ideas of family. And family can also mean me and my friends. This is my family. Mm. To really promote this love, the love that, I mean, I'm in love with my friends. You know, I'm in love with you. But that doesn't mean we have a sexual relationship. You know, mm. this this love that we have for each other. And that can really make a difference, can make this world a better place. And that maybe sounds very cliche and very romantic, but it's, it's, it's really about that, that we need to come together and enter into solidarity with each other, support each other, help each other, cook for each other, you know, fight for each other, speak up for each other, because you cannot do all the work about Syria. I have to do it too, um, if I have knowledge about it, of course. Yeah, this is what, what it means. I could go on and on, but I think I will stop here. Beautiful. We have to continue <laughs> off uh, record. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Thank you, Stella. Thank you for asking the question. So, yeah, we've actually come towards the end of our conversation. And I always honor a woman at the end of, of my podcast. Today, I want to honor all the Syrian women journalists who are part of the Syrian revolution fighting for radical justice in Syria. As we said before, there was actually only one media in Syria before the revolution. And now through the revolution, an alternative media um, has been created. And there are people out there in Syria who risk their lives to report, to show what is going on, people that you train, people that you protect. And also this, I, this um, and I think it's, I hope I'm using the right term, citizen journalists, like people who were not journalists, who just went out with their phones to document the atrocities that are taking place in Syria. So I want us today to honor those people, also the ones who lost their lives because of that, people who made documentaries, yeah, to, to show the world what is happening and who are fighting every single day for a just media and for a just Syria. So this is how I want to finish. And I hope my listeners will have a look at SFJN. And yeah, if you have some money to spare, you can also make a nice donation. Because I know that that's also good. It's also important. We live in a capitalist world. So, yeah. Yes. So thank you, uh, Rula, for taking the time to speak with us. I will upload everything, of course, on my Instagram and website. And I also want to thank my listeners for listening. And if you've been enjoying Salt, it would be great if you could rate the show on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you could share it on social media. Because, yeah, it helps to spread the word about such important topics. So, thank you so much. Something that is loved is never lost. I'm Stella Sagliari, and this is Salt the Podcast. Salt the Podcast. Salt the Podcast.